Support for Class Dismissed comes from School Status. School Status helps educators at every level take control of student data for increased outcomes and meaningful stakeholder engagement. Find out more at schoolstatus.com. You are listening to Class Dismissed, episode 141, and I'm your host, Nick Ortigo. Should you lean into SparkNotes? And National Geographic highlights the thousands of students that cross the U.S.-Mexico border every day for school. Stay with us. Class Dismissed is the podcast that inspires educators through stories. Each week, we cover some of the hottest topics and news in the world of education. Plus, we hear from a guest with a bright idea for education that you can apply in your community. This week, have you ever thought about getting rid of the teacher's desk in your classroom? We talked to a teacher who did just that. Hello, everybody. Nick Ortigo here, and I'm joined by the principal that's getting ready to rock the Caribbean. Hurricane Christina Paula. Christina, how are you doing? Man, oh man. You're still going, right? I'm still going and I'm so excited and I've started packing for a June trip. I I follow (laughs) you on Instagram and I noticed there's like, are you like teasing pictures of like the people you're getting ready to hang out with? Yes. I keep seeing these like old sorority pictures that are like. Absolutely. I thought that's what you were doing. Is everyone else doing that too? Are you leading the. No, we're all doing it. There's, I believe, 72 of us going together. Where'd you say you were going? What island was it? We are going to Montego Bay. We are staying at an all-inclusive resort and we have just this fabulous trip planned with all these themed days and dinners and excursions. And then this trip actually includes a little hangout in New Orleans before and after. And after? You and guys, after. You, y'all are going to be exhausted by the time you get to the second Oh, I, I don't think so. No, you'll be all right. I'm going to sleep. How many the, days is this? I'm going to be gone about eight days. What? Two days in NOLA, yeah. four days in Jamaica, two days coming back. God bless your husband. Good luck to y'all. I'll 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 cook some food and leave it all packed up for you in the right. fridge. Just kind of freeze it or something. Yeah, that's good stuff. Well, I hope you have a great time. Um, how are things going for you back at school? Everything good? Everything is good. You know, we're we're in that downhill stretch, headed into spring break. I know that is kind of nice. Um, you know what month? This is kind of off topic, but I was looking at our um, podcast stats, and um, over the past three years, the busiest month for listening to a podcast is October. And I don't know if that's all podcast or teacher podcast. You know, I only have mm. hours to look at. You've got to find that out. Well, I mean, I'm just kind of thinking like maybe October, like, do you feel like you still have like fire in you in October? Like, maybe Oh, that, absolutely. So that's probably why you don't start like, struggling until just before Thanksgiving. Right. So maybe that's why we're getting a lot of consumption at that time. You still are like, you know, mm-hmm. you're settling. You're in. looking for ideas. You want exactly. to hear you. Yeah. 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 So yeah. I, I thought that was interesting. But, what about uh, in the spring? Uh, not which as good as October. Is, which month is the highest? <laughs> I don't though. have it in front of me right now, though. Okay. Um, I'd like to know that. Yeah, yeah. I'll have to we might need up. to, you know, strategize on how we can improve that. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, y'all don't give up we on We might us. have to talk about, you know, beach month. vacations. Yeah, it, it, it does all right in the summertime, too, though. You'd be surprised. Oh, I that's think. awesome. Yeah. yeah I think well, you know, we teachers are not off in the summer, and I like to do that PSA. Right. I know. We yeah, are planning and thinking and attending workshops and collaborating in small meetings on our school campus campuses so that you is any, you got any workshops or conferences on your agenda in the next six months or so is there something that you like to get to um I, always looking for the best uh literacy workshops and conferences i'm going to attend a mini session um not too far from um, our school district in april but i have to tell you I, and we probably talked about this on our last podcast but 
I attended a phenomenal literacy conference in New Orleans at the end of January, and I can't wait to go back next year. Is it going to be as crazy as this New Orleans trip uh, that you have coming up? Uh, Probably crazier because this for next year, they planned it right with the Super Bowl. Okay, so the English teachers are going to get crazy at the uh, Super Bowl. Oh, yeah, and NOLA. Let's go ahead and jump into the teacher's lounge. What do you know? What's going on today? You know, you have to truly love to read to read something boring. What do you think about that? No, so I did struggle with this. Like, I like to read certain books, and I do a lot of Audible now that I'm an adult and stuff as I'm kind of working around the house. But the books that often were assigned in school, I, I struggled with. Yeah, I mean, and that's common, especially for boys. Is it? I, Absolutely. I believe it. Well, let me tell you, there's this new little handy dandy app out there, uh, and it's called Spark Notes. Yeah. Um, it's very similar to Cliff Notes, what we would use when we were in high school. If we didn't want to read, you know, any lengthy book, we try to find the shortened version right. and try to appear to be well versed in the novel um, in English class. And of course, my teacher, I had the best high school English teacher. I have to say her name is Patricia Oishiku, and we called her Mrs. O, and I yeah. still talk to her to this day. She was phenomenal, but she could see right through us, and she knew because you cannot obtain the true themes and the great uh, text evidence within it if right. you didn't actually read it. So, but we have kids today, man, with all this digital, all this technology. Yeah, there's so many ways to They cheat, are right? slick, 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 and they are trying to get around reading the most boring text by using Spark Spark Notes. But let me tell you about these nifty teachers. Okay, what you got? They realize it's there, and they're saying, okay, you're cheating, you're reading the shortened version. I'm going to teach you some strategies on how to use it so that you can be much more effective at comprehending the text. So you're saying they're embracing Sparknotes. They're leaning into Sparknotes. They are leaning into it. I mean, you might as well. You know what I mean? Our our students are very smart. Okay. I mean, like, support that. Why would you say you might as well? Like, why? Like, why why should I be okay with that as a parent? So how do you want to approach um, students who are either struggling to read or students who just, they're intelligent, gifted even, but just don't like sitting and having sustained reading, you got to meet students where they are. In fact, that's exactly what this article talks about is reaching students where they are. It's it's just like when we switch to using Kindles or um, iPads or increasing the the one-to-one programs in schools, kids are hands-on and they're techies and they want things in their fingers. And so you, we adapt it to that with instruction. If they're finding apps that make instruction easier for them, then we need to, you know, use a little reverse psychology, find some strategies to incorporate it so we find it to be cool, but then it allows us to build stronger relationships with students and then really get what we want. So does this article offer any suggestions like on on how to do what you're saying, like on how to kind of, you know, meet them in the middle there? It, they do. Let me just give you one example of a strategy that an English teacher used in her class. Okay, have you ever heard of the text, The Odyssey? I mean, everybody right, had right. to read The Odyssey. Okay, right. you've just really got to love to read, mm-hmm. to sit down and read The Odyssey. She says, okay, have your students read book one of that poem for homework. Okay, how many of you know, how many students are going to actually do their homework? 
Uh, I mean, I had one teacher on that here once, and she worked at a school where she was honest with me. She was like, I don't think I maybe had like two kids in my high school class that actually read through the whole Mm -hmm. book. Well, let me tell you why. They're working jobs. They're playing sports. And that's the age where a lot less conversation happens with parents. You Mm -hmm. do your homework. Mm -hmm. Right. In the discussion. okay. so she still gives them the opportunity because there are some students who will pre-read. okay. so don't don't count everybody out. Then she says, "Okay, we'll come back the next day and we're going to read the spark news summary of it together. So I see what you want to do. You want the quick version. I see what app you're using. I'm going to jump in here with you, but then find very engaging and collaborative activities for them to do in small group, create discussions where they have to either debate, talk about cause and effect, you know, compare and contrast, and then come back and just continue to deepen the discussion and unpeeling the text. And you've already used SparkNotes, but there will be some questions that won't be able to be answered through a summary. Then you explain to students the benefit of actually utilizing the full text um, to have these discussions and or, you know, for their assessment. But then you can also take it a step further and talk about, tell me, the impact doctors would have on our health if they use spark notes or just a summary for their instruction. And students really will look at you and go, well, I didn't think about that. If they take the shortcut, man, they cannot do open heart surgery properly. So you need the true skill of understanding how to break down and and, and dissect a text, especially if you're planning to go to college because the books get more and more difficult. You you may have won me over. uh, Yeah, but we're cool because you found a new app that I, as a teacher, I pick up, I put a little extra something in my tool belt too. you lean into it, you build on it, and then you point out why it's maybe not the best thing to do amongst the process. Yeah, use it as a tool to break down the text, but it cannot replace it. I like that. Good. Thank you uh, for bringing that to our attention. You know, I um, sometimes I like to think I'm a worldly person, you know, and and then sometimes I read something in National Geographic and I realize I'm not. I have no <laughs> idea what's going on. And something surprises me because I started reading this article and this one actually I stumbled across it a couple weeks ago and I'm meaning to bring it on the show. I didn't know that there are an estimated 40,000 children that cross the U.S. border each day for school. Like mm-hmm. they actually travel from Mexico to the United States. They mm-hmm. are American citizens, mm-hmm. and but maybe their parents aren't. Correct. And they actually do that border crossing every day. Do you school. have the specific borders that they're in? Is it Juarez there? It, that, mm-hmm. that is Texas, one that was highlighted Texas, there. Texas, big time. It, it, but it's also New Mexico and California yeah. where it's happening as yeah. well. Um, and they, they with it, this article, I, I need a link to it in the, the show notes because it's fantastic that National Geographic did because they really did drill in and focus on p- particular students mm-hmm. and just like the daily struggle that they go through. Absolutely. Of how sometimes they cross the border in five minutes and sometimes it takes them three hours. Mm-hmm. So basically they have to show up three hours before school and they get there, they get across the border They They may be, they focused on cheerleaders um, in this particular thing. And so these, you know, these girls go and they do their, their life and they live over in the United States for the afternoon. And then they may have a football game to go to and they cheer for that. And then if it's an away game, they get back late. Yep. And by the time they get back across the border, sometimes it's like one, two in the morning. And, and they don't have much time for the turnaround process for the it, next day. Exactly. Um, and I mean, this was so fascinating to really see that this was happening on a daily basis. And again, you know what's even more powerful, though? How they've identified the priority and the importance of getting a quality education. Right. And what they're willing 
to go through to get it. And we have children that won't walk down the street and have high chronic absenteeism right here in our community. Yeah, no. And and I think that's really what gripped me. And I think you eloquently stated that. um, And and that's that's really what got to me is that the fact that they'll go through all this effort and and even do the extracurriculars and stuff. um, On top of all of that to just, you know, it's a part of feeling whole. Mm-hmm. And, and a part of the great dream. And in some cases, um, this one person they highlighted, she actually, like, her brother went to school in Juarez because he wasn't a citizen, and she was. And so, like, the family was like, okay, well, you're going to go to school in the United States because you can. That's right. Um, and even splitting the family apart. It says Ashley's friend, Jasmine, lived in El Paso for a year with a legal guardian but missed her family. So now she wakes up at 4.30, takes two buses from her parents' house in Juarez, and then gets to the border bridge by 7 a.m. After school, she does softball, student council, National Honor Society, and a handful of other extracurricular activities. If she has an away game, she won't get home until about 1 a.m. And she says, that's why I look like this, she says, gesturing to her sweatshirt and curls falling um, out of the top of her back. All for the American dream. Yep, exactly. And um, she said she's trying to get over to the University of Texas in Austin. That's where she hopes to study environmental engineering, and that's why she's going to school in the United States. She just became my hero. I know, it really. Like, it, it really is amazing and so again um, if you have a second just read about these kids and and what they do to get to high school and it, it just kind of changes your perspective on on everything um, are you ready for the uh, bright idea rock and roll Our guest in today's Bright Ideas segment is an educator, blogger, and speaker from Toronto. Matthew Morris uses his website, MatthewRMorris.com, to speak about race, culture, and education. And he also has a big following on Medium.com. Today, Matthew's here to talk about why he got rid of his teacher's desk and what life's been like without it. Matthew, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Uh, I'm excited you're here, too, because this post that you uh, put, I I originally stumbled across it on Medium.com, which is a great resource for anybody looking just for some inside information about any industry. And I like to look at it for education reasons. But um, I stumbled across it and saw that, you know, you you were talking about you're getting rid of your desk and and here's why I'm doing it. But the post is a few years old. So I don't want you to tell me right now whether or not like you gave in and you brought a desk back into your classroom. We'll we'll get to that later. But, But let's first talk a little bit about, you know, why you decided to actually pull the teacher's desk out of your classroom. Well, there's a couple reasons. One of the, the first reason why I actually wanted to chuck my desk because it was it was actually kind of falling apart. That's the real true reason why I was like, you know what, I need to get rid of this. But instead of, you know, talking to my principal and asking if they could spring for another desk, towards, you know, the second half of that last sorry, I don't want to ruin anything. Towards the second half of that time when I had my desk that last year, I um I didn't really use it at all. And and I found that as I started using it less and less and I uh, started to move around the class more often, um, students would gradually start to ask me if uh, they could sit at my desk to do their work. And this was at the time when I was teaching uh, a fourth and fifth grade split class. Um, so they kind of found it empowering to sit there and do work. So I kind of, throughout the course of the last several months of the school year, I would I would kind of use it as a a reward system for students who, um, you know, did their work, were consistent with their um, the expectations that I had of them. And um, at the end of the year, I had decided that I just wanted to get rid of it. I wasn't really read up on any literature about, you know, <clears throat> the reasons behind perhaps getting rid of a desk. It was only after, um, you know, 
my blog went on Medium and I started getting a little bit of attention about it that I, I learned some of the theory behind it. But for me, I just kind of wanted to get rid of it because a it was it was useless for me. I didn't really uh, see a, a purpose in in having it. Now again, I'm a you know I have a fairly deep voice, so um, I don't really need particular symbols um, to um, quote unquote I guess um, claim authority within a classroom. Right. Um. So that's kind of the initial reason why I just decided to uh, to get rid of it. And, and how long have you been teaching? Uh, this is my eighth year now. Okay. So, and this was about three years ago. So this was, you're about five years in. So you're, you're a younger teacher probably in, in your school. And, and I was reading the article and I think you said you got some colleagues to kind of help you get the desk outside. And you were like, yeah, I'm getting rid of it. And it took them for a second. Like they thought you were joking, right? Right. Yeah. So uh, I got a, the teacher who uh, taught next to me to help me uh, the first week in, into the summer holiday. And he was like, yeah, yeah. Okay. You're getting rid of it. I'm like, no, I need you to actually help me bring this to the stairway because I taught on the second floor of a school building um, so that the, I already told the caretaker at the time so that he could take it downstairs. And um, so he, he was kind of like, OK. Um, and, you know, the typical question. So what are you going to use instead of it? I don't know. I don't I just don't want a desk. I don't I don't want that symbol inside my classroom that forces me to be that. um quote unquote traditional teacher. Not that there's anything wrong with um, you know, teaching in a traditional sense and holding expectations in inside a classroom, but I just wanted to uh I felt I had been teaching long enough to um to really start um trying some new things out in my practice. All right. So so you get it out of the classroom. Did you feel like you got the the response you were expecting? Did you feel like it, it tore walls down between you and your students or was it kind of like no big deal? Well <clears throat> at first Yes, it did. It was because um, at the time, um, the school was a kindergarten to grade eight school, so it was relatively small. So um, there was about maybe 300 kids in the entire school. So even if they were in a second grade class, they might have had an older brother in fifth grade or sixth grade. So they were, were very familiar with the classes. So when they came to my class the following year and they realized that <clears throat> the times that they once visited their older sister in Mr. Morris's fifth or sixth grade class, he no longer had the desk in his class where they would kind of hang out after school. I was helping their sister with some homework or something like that. Um, so when they got up into uh, my class, um, yeah, it was kind of like, what happened to your desk? How come you don't have a desk? It was very like, why don't you have a desk? You know, and it wasn't me. I'm not going to sit there and lecture them on the reasons of why right. I didn't have a desk at the time they were fifth grade. So I just said, you know, I don't feel the, you know, I don't need a desk, you know, and it, it pushed me to walk around and help, help kids more and be the lead learner. So I kind of told them a little bit of that, putting it into kid friendly language, I guess you could say, um, to the point where gradually it, um, on the surface, it wasn't a big thing in terms of, yeah, they didn't notice it after a couple months. But underneath, I think it was a big thing because it dissolved a little bit of that. Um, it did dissolve a little bit of that barrier between teacher and student. Do, did you ever have a moment where you kind of realized like, yeah, this was the right decision, like an interaction with a student or anything? Or, or, or did you open up more space in your classroom? Was there, a, was there an aha moment? Well, I don't know if there was an aha moment per se. There were several small moments um, throughout the course of that first year when I got rid of my desk, when I realized that 
some of the students that were falling falling under the crack in previous years, I probably could have helped them because I noticed that because I couldn't rely on my desk to, um, you know, go back and sit down and do the teacher things that I needed to do. I would just take, say I had a set of um, math quizzes to quickly grade. I would go and sit beside a student. I wouldn't go and, you know, talk to them or I would just take a seat in, in an open desk beside students while they were doing their independent work. And then I found that the students who I would typically sit beside were the ones that were more quiet just because, you know, I wanted to, you know, get a little closer to those students. And then those students would actually ask me more questions about the work. And I realized that, you know, there was probably a few students in previous years and previous classes that just sat there. They earned maybe their C minuses, C pluses um, when they could have been earning higher grades if both myself and them had the, uh, I guess, the space, the dynamic of the space within that classroom was a little bit altered how it was when I did get rid of my desk. I imagine, yeah, you're building trust maybe where in the past you were kind of had that barrier between you guys, um, both literally yeah. and figuratively, I guess. So if you're, we have a lot of educators that listen to this podcast and, you know, they all probably, um, not all, but um, most of them probably have a desk and they're probably thinking like, you know, I may want to try this, but where am I going to keep all my stuff? Like, uh, you know, your desk is designed to, as a file cabinet in many sense or scissors or, or whatever school supplies you may need to kind of shove in there. What did you do about that? Uh, initially, I got a, an, I just got one of those small file cabinets, <clears throat> um, just your traditional, you know, industrial metal file cabinet. So anything that was in my desk at the time, um, I just moved it. I just, in terms of storage, it was in that file cabinet. Anything that I used to keep on my desk. So if I had my, I guess I'm trying to think back, maybe I had like a pencil sharpener on my desk at the time. Um, I would just put it on that file cabinet because I wasn't really using it anyway. So anything that I needed to use it for in terms of space, I just got another small file cabinet in the classroom. And then over the years, ironically, I started purging more and more things. You know, we don't need to keep photocopies of that math test that we're going to use in in 10 months, right? You just keep it in our email or on a drive somewhere and just print it where we need to. You've been doing this for a few years now. Um, I, I take it unless you gave in at some point. That's, that's kind of what I was curious about. And, and I think you said you, you were teaching fourth and fifth grade when you started this and now you're teaching. Yeah. Is it seventh I'm teaching, grade? I'm teaching seventh grade now in a middle school. So I actually, I switched schools. And when I switched schools, um, my new principal asked me, are there anything that, is there anything that I want to change to the, any changes um, to the room that I would like before September? And I, I asked for a carpet and some bean bags because in my old classroom, I had kind of like a reading area and I like kind of like a more laxed feel where you, the boundaries are blurred between the uh, dynamic that occurs outside of school and the, what occurs inside of school. And then I also told him I wanted to get rid of my desk. Um, so initially he was like, yeah, everything's fine. And then when I came back in September, um, he didn't realize that I actually wanted to get rid of my desk. Again, it was like kind of the, with my teacher back, uh, you know, a few years before that. So he came, he's like, oh, there's nowhere to store your desk. <laughs> kind of thinking that I might want my desk again one day or another teacher may need another desk or something like that. And um, so I kind of, I worked through that in my first year at, at, um, the, the next school that I went to, I actually had a desk for that year, but I made it. I guess you didn't want to like push back on your principal because he's he's kind of like, what do you want me to do yeah, with that? Yeah, you know, there's there's the politics inside of teaching too, right? I'm mm-hmm. at a new school. 
Um, I don't have a relationship with this this principal. I don't know him. He doesn't know me. Um, I'm not going to push my uh, pedagogical demands upon administration, you know? So I just kind of, you know, um, finessed my way around that situation. I made it very explicit from the very first day of that year that this desk isn't mine. It belongs to you if anybody wants to sit there. They were older. They're in seventh grade now, not fourth and fifth. So it wasn't really, uh, I mean, it, they're still kids. So that kind of reward system could have still been implemented. Um, but I kind of just wanted to just use the desk for, for whatever it was. If you want, I didn't want to, I wanted to absolutely dissolve all the power of it. Cause even when I was letting kids sit there, there was still a power piece in play, but it was just kind of reversed. It was more of the student, you know, empowerment, mm-hmm. which is a good thing, but I wanted to dissolve. I, I didn't want any of my kids to ever view that as the quote unquote teacher's desk. Right. So from the very first day of school, I said, kids, if you guys want to sit there, if you want to go there in the middle of math period, because the group that you're sitting at, you just need some alone time. Go ahead. I might be sitting there sometimes. Ninety five percent of the time I won't be. Do you have a desk this year? No, no. After that first year at my new school, I I chucked that thing. I at that time, I built my relationship up to the point where he realized that I absolutely didn't want a desk in in my classroom. Um, So he's. I guess they found storage for it. So no it regrets? <clears throat> no, zero regrets. It opens up my classroom. I have so much space in it. Um, I'm consciously focused now because I don't have that desk. I'm more consciously focused on um, moving around the, the, the classroom. And because the school year just started, we're on the East Coast, so it starts after Labor Day. So I'm, it's day two just finished. And um, I still have my chair to my desk. So I just roll around the classroom, kind of sitting at different groups, talking to some of my students, trying to build that uh, classroom community. Sounds like a really cool classroom. Have you convinced any of your colleagues to do the same? I've convinced a few, actually. Surprisingly, I've never convinced any teacher within my own school over the two schools that I've been at in the four or five years that I've gone without a desk. I've noticed a lot of you know colleagues that work within the same board. I work in the Toronto District School Board. Um that I see and they're like, yeah, I got rid of my desk. You know, I read your um, post. Like I didn't need it. I never used it either. You know, I finally got rid of it or people on Twitter will, um, you know, reply to that article or send me messages. Like it was the best decision I made. Um, so yeah. Uh, speaking of Twitter, if somebody wants to, to find you on there, what's your handle? Do you know offhand? Yeah. My handle is call me Mr. Morris. So C A L L me M E Mr. The abbreviated form M R Morris with two R's M O R R I S. All right, Mr. Matthew Morris, are you ready for our pop quiz? I'm ready. Let's do it. Uh, first question: If students could only go to school for one subject, which subject should it be? English. They need to know how to communicate. What are we not teaching in school that we should be teaching? Financial literacy. Um, you need to know how to more about money than about what makes a leaf turn green. It's interesting to know that's not just a problem in the United States, you being in Toronto, because we all feel the same way, I think. Absolutely. Um, What does every child deserve? Validation and acknowledgement of of them and their their uniqueness as a person. What's the biggest challenge for today's educators? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, The biggest challenge is the conservative nature of education. and the uh, the politics behind um, the politics behind education. Uh, I mean, um, the high stakes testing and the pressure on teachers to pump out results 
on test scores and not necessarily um, push for um, the best and brightest students. Those are two opposite things. What's the best gift to give an educator? Um, uh, the best gift to give an educator is probably a gift card to chapters. Um, just for teachers to be lifelong learners is probably the most invaluable thing you could give somebody who is um, negotiating and um, supposed to be teaching children every single day. Which teacher changed your life? My grade eight teacher, his name was Mr. Gillis. He was in his last year of teaching. And I think at that point he was dissolved of any type of um, conservative backlash that he would get. And it was the most powerful year I ever got because he taught us. He, he had he had sayings that really resonated with me personally, like everything you need to learn. You've learned already in kindergarten. Be nice to others. Treat others how you want to be treated. Share. Um, and he, he just had a very fundamental way of connecting with urban students. I went to school in a inner city and this was a old white guy who embraced um, wow. Native American culture and he couldn't have been more connected to the students he taught. Good. Um, and last question, pen or pencil? Um, pen or wow, pen or pencil? I use, the com- I use the computer, man, my MacBook. There you go. But if I had to, it would be a pen, I guess. I don't know. All right, Matthew Morris, again, we really appreciate you joining us. Awesome. Thanks for having me. That's going to do it for this episode of Class Dismissed. If you want to send us an idea or comment, remember you can always email us at info at classdismissedpodcast.com or tweet us at classdismiss. We're here to support educators, but we need your support as well. So please subscribe to the show. And we'd also appreciate it if you could leave us a five-star review on iTunes. On behalf of all the good people working at School Status and Christina, representing all those educators out there, thank you for listening. I'm Nick Ortigo, and I'll talk with you next week. Class dismissed.